Welcome to the Gagaris Mama podcast. This is Chris. And in this episode, I speak with Robert Chu of Emblema. Emblema is a blockchain-based health platform that enables uh, consumers, uh, mostly American at the moment, to monetize their health data, which in a system like America is uh, an interesting prospect and one of those interesting monetization prospects that we often hear about with blockchain. So it was a, an interesting interview, and I hope you enjoy it too. Well, thanks for um, for taking the time, Chris. Uh, so my name is Robert Chu, and um, I founded a company called Emblema, based out of the U.S., uh, a little bit more than 15 months ago. And uh, before that, um, I was working for a company called IMS Health, which is the global leader in healthcare data and consulting and technology. I did this for about 10 years. Um, I was the general manager of France affiliate, then the head of Asia Pacific and China. And then a few years ago, I moved back to the States to um, head the technology group. Uh, and our clients were all the stakeholders in healthcare, pharmaceutical companies, regulators, healthcare professionals, and care centers. And before this, I spent about 16 years in IBM uh, doing software and consulting. So that's me. And maybe tell tell us a bit more about um, <clears throat> Emblema. You're obviously in the health space, um, but what in particular in the health space are you doing? Sure. Um, our goal at Emblema is to, um, is to uh, re-empower the patient uh, as part of the um, healthcare system. And the way we do it, uh, we apply blockchain technology to um, enable the patient to control and share his medical records. Mm-hmm. As, uh, as you probably know, there's a, a general problem uh, pretty much in every country in the world uh, which is a fragmentation and the lack of ownership uh, from the patient of his health records, which could be disastrous, you know, in terms of um, uh, an emergency situation. And certainly um, the patient is also very often not aware that his health records are being used uh, for good purposes in terms of uh, safety surveillance and in terms of uh, measuring the efficiency of health products like drugs. And moreover, um, there's a huge business uh, that's taking place today um, uh, around patient records. Uh, this is a billion-dollar you know, business that uh, pharma companies need to acquire patient records, uh, again, for good reasons, to prove to regulation that uh, their drug is safe, that the drug is efficient. And um, you know, a little bit like Facebook, where the patient generates the data, uh, but the value of it is captured entirely by third parties and other people. And the patient, uh, even though he's the source of the data, does not get a dime or a dollar out of it. And this is something we also want to change to make sure that the patient gets the full reward uh, money-wise for his uh, health records. Mm. I mean, I've encountered a a few projects trying this idea not i mean more recently a lot of them around uh, blockchain but not always um and especially even in my own particular personal perspective i've lived in three countries i'm lucky enough to not have any particularly concerning health issues that uh i would like doctors to know about but there's a few small things here and there and yeah generally Every country I've ever been to, it's like starting again. And um, often you almost have to prove that they're, that you know what you're talking about, even though you're talking about yourself. 
Um, so, I mean, let's maybe go back a step to the problem you're trying to solve. And why do you think the health industry, the health, not just the industry, but also the health service is like this and why? And are there any countries that do it better than others? Yes, I think this um, this overall issue on uh, making sure the patient has uh, his medical history. Hmm. Um, I think uh, there's really, you know, the common or current way of doing this more or less successfully, you know, would be uh, the uh, the state. You know, would be typically the uh, the state or the national payer would fund this because this is a, this is a very expensive endeavor. Hmm. And uh, and the interest of why would the you know the public authority you know uh, fund this? It's uh, it's something of like public health interest, okay? Making sure that patients receive better treatments, and uh, to do this, uh, well, you know, having the healthcare professional, the doctor, you know, having the medical history, does <laughs> augment the probability that the treatment will be you know informed and, and better. So I think that's um, that's the current way of doing so. Now, which country has really done it? I think the best example is Estonia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's over a period of uh, five or six years, starting in 2010, and pretty much their 1.2 million uh, citizens, you know, have complete access to their history, images, uh, prescriptions, procedures, you know, uh, uh, doctor notes. And I think they did a really good job. Mm. But uh, other than that, uh, you know, the other countries are typically struggling. And I think uh, one of the reasons is that uh, the healthcare is really um, a set of silos, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so you have the healthcare professionals, which is you know, like a very, very tight silo, and, and they all, they're pretty protective, you know, of the health data. In some countries, you know, they claim that they generate the data when the doctor inputs in the EMR and, 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 and claim ownership. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, uh, there's other fragmentation going on between primary care versus hospitals systems that's also a wall uh then the patient you know generates his own data with connected devices or patient report comes that's another silo yeah yeah and i think uh i think it's reality you know culturally speaking you know each silo kind of claims i have the best data and therefore yep. uh, i'm not going to share it uh so it makes it very hard even when it's state driven kind of project uh it makes it very hard to uh to achieve it and i think the difference we're trying to make is that the commonality between all those silos is the patient. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, everything starts and ends with the patient. All the healthcare system are geared, you know, to improve the health of a patient. <laughs> and I think the way we imagine this is going to work is that we want the patient to be very active in retrieving and aggregating his uh, medical history. Because mm. at the end of the day, only the patient knows where he's been to in different hospitals. And you talk about three countries, only the patient really knows. And the patient generally has the right to have a copy of his uh, medical records pretty much in every country. Uh, in some countries, it's digitized. In some countries, it's paper. So that makes it a little bit difficult. But the information is there. It's really available for the patient. And if the patient is engaged enough to do so, uh, either because he's very sick or he has a you know, vested interest in having his medical history, then I think we should compensate this patient because it's definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's labor, right? It's, it's taking time and it's an effort, so we should compensate this. And, uh, and then, you know, having him really control this for different use cases. So the first one is obviously when you go to a new doctor, instead of filling forms and forgetting half of your procedures or medications or allergies, 
you do have, you know, your 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 fact based uh, medical history, and mm. you do have the probability of being better treated, especially in emergency situations. And then, you know, having the patient actively be involved in this patient record uh, data business, which is so important for regulators and pharma companies. So I think that's the difference. We're pretty much kind of grassroots, you know, going to patients, make sure they're active, paying them for this, and uh, and having them be a full participant in this data patient record business, which today they're not. So I think that's the difference. Let's... Let's go back a step again there because you said a few, quite a few interesting things actually. <laughs> um, you're talking about paying patients. I mean, I guess I'm lucky enough to have always lived in countries with at least a semblance of a public health service. Um, I don't really know much about America, which is probably more your knowledge area, but if I'm to think of my general interaction with the health service, I pay tax, um, I pay for drugs sometimes, or most of the time, <laughs> just different amounts. Um, sometimes, depending on the country and what I decide to do, I might pay for private health insurance. Um, for example, I now live in Germany where health insurance is mandatory but no insurer can deny you. So it's sort of different, interesting kind of model. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, whenever I need uh, to go to the doctor or go to the hospital, it's kind of covered by something, right. however I've paid for it. So why would anyone want to pay me for my information? What, who, who wants to pay me and what are they getting? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sure. This is a this is a very good question. So first of all, you know who's going to pay for it, and uh, and what's the value of it? You know what's what's the price tag? How much can you get you know, out of your health records? And I think if you take a look at um, this transaction that occurred in March of this year, so like six months ago, uh, Roche, you know, which is one of the global pharma companies based in, in Basel in Switzerland, mm-hmm. they acquired a company called Flatiron, mm-hmm. which. Based, uh, in the United States, and what they acquired is really patient records, mm-hmm. right? It's patient records in oncology, and they acquired this $1.9 billion, and our estimate, this is around 200,000, you know, good quality oncology patient records, of mm-hmm. course, all anonymized, and it puts a price tag of roughly $10,000 per patient record. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what it's worth. Now, who's getting the value? Well, in that case, it's flight iron. And the patient who has generated this data, 200,000 patients, they get zero. Hmm. So the first thought is, why is that so? Why shouldn't we pay the patient $10,000 rather than Flatiron? Or maybe $9,000 and Flatiron gets $1,000 because this works. It's only work in curing the data, cleaning it up, you know, the hmm. like that. So I think that's the first question. The second uh, point of view is uh, we had a we had a conference, you know, last week on October 10th in France, mm. uh, where we had a debate around blockchain and patient data, patient por- uh, empowerment. And one of the speakers was uh, Mr. Seretti, who is the head of uh, France Associ Santé. So he's the head of all patient associations. Mm-hmm. And his perspective is very interesting. So in this case, let's talk about oncology. Unfortunately, patients are very sick, you know, and what he's saying, well, these patients, they have a tough time. They very often lose their jobs. Therefore, there's a loss of resources. 
And even though in countries like France, where there's a very good welfare system and, you know, there, there's, there's, you know, unemployment benefits and things like that, there's a loss of, there's a loss of revenue. Hmm. Why should not the data that this oncology or cancer, you know, patient, which is again worth $10,000, why shouldn't he get compensation for it? Because he does have loss of revenue. And I thought it was a very, very interesting thought. And, you know, when you're sick, Everything goes wrong, right? Yeah. You you have yeah. your job and you're struggling. And even though, thank goodness, in France and Germany, you know, there's very good uh, medical insurance recovered 100%. You do suffer, you know, loss of revenue. And he says, look, this is this is something we need to look at because these guys definitely, you know, there's no reason why they're suffering loss of revenue. And if data could be another source of revenue, we should look at it. So I think it was an interesting perspective. So are you effectively looking to supplement or replace health insurance in that case that would usually refund you for loss of revenue when you're sick, I guess? Well, it, it's, uh, it would be uh, in, uh, in addition to. Yeah. That would be the better case. Yeah. That would be yeah. Because that's, that's, that's money that pharma companies are paying. Yeah. So the, it's already, you know, somebody's getting it, right? And I think that the issue here is that uh, the patient is not getting anything out of it. And I think this is not right. And, uh, and, and we should change it. Okay. Um, and so that's that's a sort of fairly um, clear use case, I guess. This um, monetization of people's data via the blockchain is is happening. Well, people are working on it in a, in a variety of places. I think it is a very interesting area. Um, how it eventuates is yet to be seen, of course, but I think it's an interesting area. The the other aspect of this that many may think of, this sort of free interchange of your records between medical systems, is this another aspect you're looking at or is it predominantly on the um, compensation for your data at the moment? Uh, yeah, there's, there's two use cases. I okay. think you're absolutely right. I think the, the basic use cases and, and a lot of people working on this is really this um, you know sharing, interoperation. Mm. So, sure that when you move from one health, one health systems to another system or one hospital to another system, hospital, you do have continuity, you know, in terms of your medical records and history. So that's that's very important. That's that's super important in terms of making sure that each patient, you know, uh, has control and the ability to share when he moves around. That's super important. Mm. I think the, the problem with this use case is that it's very hard to sell. It's very, very hard to sell. And because, you know, there's so much silos in health systems and you're basically trying to do something that's across uh, all silos, nobody's going to pay for it. The only, you know, the only person who can pay for it, again, could be the government, mm. right? So I think in this case, I would suspect, you know, the business viability of such uh, enterprises, which just, you know, try to implement this use case, I think is, is, is very risky, to be mm. honest. You know, it's very, just very difficult, right? Nobody wants to play for it. It's as simple as that. And I guess you get into an aspect of um, two, two trust issues. One, I'm guessing that there will be a lot of country-to-country exchanges where um, one medical system doesn't necessarily value the records of another medical system. Um, and also even trusting that the information the uh, the patient is presenting them is genuine, whether they trust the system or not. And obviously we know that blockchain can help with this trust, but you have to have trust 
in the trust system, of course. Um, and if a doctor has never heard of uh, Emblema or any of the other uh, providers that are looking at this, then it doesn't, you know, it, it's still useless, I guess, if if the doctor doesn't trust it. Um, have you done any work in that space of trying to get uh, significant numbers of medical professionals um, to trust systems like yours? Well, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think if you're talking about uh, you know a country paying for or you know or, or trusting the data from another country, uh, it's not going to work just because you know the uh, just having the the doctor being you know being uh, <clears throat> certified and able to work, you know, this is a country by country decision, right? Mm. So if you have a diploma from Germany, you go to the U.S., you're not allowed to work. You have to mm. go back to school and pass an exam and you know, it's all these professions like doctors, lawyers, same thing, right? Mm. So, so, it, and this is a very deeply rooted, mm. right? So, we're not going to change this, I think, anytime soon. So, this is going to be like a generation thing, 25 years at least. So, <laughs> so you got to do it country by country. And I think, um, you know, I think in the United States, it's, I think in most countries, it's pretty clear, you know, when a doctor sees a record that's being generated by another doctor in a given country, Again, because cross countries, you're right. There's no trust and there's no validation, right? It's just mm. not valid. I think it's fine. So, in, so in US, it's very simple. You know, you have something called the uh, County of Care document, mm. the GL seven, you know, medical record standard, and this document is really authenticated and signed by a healthcare professional. There's something called authenticator, author. You know, the doctor signs it, and then if another doctor from another health system from another city in the United States looks at it, it's fine. Mm. He knows. The colleague has validation. Um, so yeah, I think I think that works, and uh, and within a country that definitely works. Mm. Yeah, I think the unfortunately the international exchange is a long time off yet. I guess. <laughs> so how how does this look for patients and for um, healthcare industry? What what's the, what's the interface? Um, what's the 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 GUI, the experience. How how do people access Emblema? Sure. So it's a it's a it's a web application, mm-hmm. and it's accessible for all the patients in the U.S. at uh, patienttruth.emblema.com. And uh, the patient uh, starts by opening an account, so registering, you know, push putting his uh, his identifiers and personal information, and then within this web application, he uploads his different medical records. And the system, uh, you know, recreates his medical history and the patient can share it uh, with the doctors. Uh, and we also put the authentication layer in blockchain, meaning that all the sharing, which is dynamic, you can revert the sharing, change the scope of the sharing, mm. is also traced um, and, uh, and tamper-proof in blockchain. And once the patient has granted access to another doctor, so this is a HIPAA consent form, uh, the doctor can look at whatever the scope of the sharing is. And the patient also has another trail in terms of who accesses data in one, which is also in blockchain and therefore tamper-proof. So this is what the patient uh, has in terms of functions in the current system that's live today in the States. Okay. And for the companies that want to consume public patient data and then uh, compensate the patient? Is it a similar process? Um, or how, how do patients say, 
Um, my data is open for compensation or sections of it are open for compensation, etc. Sure. So we're working on this next version, which we call the marketplace, hmm. which is uh, the sharing you know, of the data for, I would say, regulatory purposes or you know, real-world evidence surveillance purposes. And in that case, the consent is still in the hands of the patient. Mm-hmm. One thing that I forgot to mention, Chris, is that each consent is individual to the patient. So this is not like mm-hmm. one size fits all kind of thing like Facebook, you know. So mm-hmm. each patient can really decide what he wants to expose, when, to whom, and to what purpose. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you're an oncology patient, you say, well, I want to expose my data for clinical research. And you can decide which part of your medical records I want to share my medications, but I don't want to share my social history, for example. Mm-hmm. You decide which purpose, uh, only for clinical research, uh, phase three, not for marketing purposes. You can decide with whom you want to share it. Uh, I want to share it with Pfizer and, and Merck, but not with uh, you know some other pharma company. I want to share it with FDA or not. Mm. And then you sh- decide the scope of it, meaning that over time, well, I'm going to share my entire history. I'm going to share for the next three months, or I'm going to share only for analysis. So not the raw data, but only, you know, if people want to run, want to run analysis on it. Mm-hmm. And all this is going to be the hands of each patient. Okay. How, how do you, I, actually, I saw um, a pitch recently that was a similar idea, but in a different kind of space. It was about monetizing um, data sets to data scientists to do research with, etc. Um, and one aspect that popped up in my mind is when they try to anonymize data, these sort of implicit connections of data and how you can potentially expose information even if you didn't mean to. Like if you are happy to um, mention drugs you take, which anyone any kind of medical professional would probably know what those drugs were for even though you chose to not expose uh, a mental health condition for example is is this something you've thought about sure sure yeah this is this is the uh, the broader um, uh, and very important uh, you know mm. requirement of making sure you don't uh, you don't have the possibility to re-identify the patient okay so unless the patient has consented to expose his identified data, which in the U.S. is a right, mm. uh, in countries you cannot, like in France, this is forbidden. You cannot sell identified data, so you have to take a look country by country. But generally, the case is that the patient is going to expose de-identified data. And in that case, you fall under regulations like HIPAA, which is the Health Insurance Portability Act, which requires that this information, although de-identified, is not re-identifiable, Mm. by, you know, uh, merging your data set with some other public sources like demographic data, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, this is something that's not dealt with blockchain. So uh, even a very sophisticated smart contract cannot deal with it. Mm. So the way we deal with it is that you got to take a look disease by disease. Mm. And a higher epidemiologist people, you know, understand the disease, the patient pathway. And you got to make sure that, and this is really in the regulation, reasonable statistical, you know, uh, inference of this data anonymized, you know, cannot re-identify. So this is really a manual process that you got to do. This is very, very important. Yes, absolutely. And if you wanted to do this country to country, it's going to get very complicated very quickly, I suppose. This is why we're focusing on the US. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting, actually, because the US kind of is renowned for its slightly unfair health system, but at the same time, it's probably the, the one that is most open 
uh, from all levels to this kind of idea, whereas countries with bigger public health systems, it's probably highly unlikely you're ever going to get much of a look in because it's too big of a silo already. <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right. I think, I think the, the, the one thing that helps a lot in the US is that the authorities, the regulation, like uh, the Food and Drug Administration, is very progressive. Mm. And is very, very aware of the value of data, you know, to improve the system mm, from a cost mm. perspective, from an efficiency perspective. And, uh, you know, the recent uh, 21st Century is Correct, uh, which was passed uh, around Christmas 2016. This is one of the la- la- last uh, regulations from the Obama administration. Mm. Uh, requires the, um, the FDA to accelerate the availability of uh, new treatments to patients. And the way you do it, the FDA, I think, has articulated a very, very good uh, you know, set of principles, which is, well, we need more data. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. So in addition to clinical research results, RCTs, we need reward evidence data. You know, who's this patient? What is he doing in real life? You know, uh, what is comorbidities? What's the uh, healthcare professional practice? You know, that's mm-hmm. going to basically uh, influence the, the benefits or the risks. And if I have this 360 view of what's going on, lots of different sources of data, you know, then I can take a decision sooner and I can make the drug available sooner. Mm. And this is very, very favorable for us because uh, what we're putting basically in the blockchain is all this 360 view of different data, which is created by the patient. Mm. And uh, and actually, we started to do some work, you know, um, with uh, some XFDA people to align our system, the data sets, you know, that our system is going to store in blockchain to the FDA uh, evidence repository so that we can accelerate the availability of this multi-additional data to FDA even sooner and accelerate even more the availability of new treatments. Mm-hmm. So that's that's very good. And I think uh, in Europe, uh, there's not so much, well, there, I think the authorities are like less tax savvy for sure. And then, you know, it's more traditional, it's more slow moving. So uh, so it's a good place to start, you mm-hmm. know, uh, trying to do. I think in mm-hmm. Europe, it's good a little bit more time yeah, yeah. <laughs> very progressive and actually you know very tech-based uh, yeah know. yeah yeah i'd like to ask you two more questions if i may um the first one is um and you seem very knowledgeable on this whole space and you mentioned your background a little bit but i'd be interested to know what was the genesis story for you and the other founders for the project um why do this what was the what was the motivation well, um, you know, uh, in my in my uh, in my tenure in uh, in IMS Health, it was uh, it was really um, you know I was dealing with pharma companies and and uh, you know regulators, payers, and it was really kind of a business to business kind of transactions, mm-hmm. and we sold big patient data sets and so on, and and so that was one world, you know, that uh, you know that operated and. You know, that was fine. And then there was another world, which was patients, which I was very far, to be honest, even though, again, they generated all the data. And, uh, you know, patients with digital health. And um, and these worlds were completely disconnected, mm. completely. And, and therefore, you had the situations where all the data that generated by the patient, you know, the patient gets zero dollars out of it. And I thought, wow, you know, there's got to be a better way, you know, to put all, kind of break those silos and, and putting everybody together. And then, you know, like, Lots of people, unfortunately, um, some people in my family had, had pretty severe health issues and, and I yeah. was running yeah. get the records and it was driving me crazy. And I got yeah. paper later. And I thought uh, when I 
start to take a look at blockchain, the ability of sharing, you know, really breaking silos, the ability of taking out all these intermediaries, which frankly are doing nothing mm. uh, more than just collecting the data, you know, with more or less you know, quality insurance. And I thought, well, look, I mean, this is a good opportunity to help the patients, uh, put them in the middle of the system and break some of those silos. So mm. I think it's mm. a lot of meaning for, uh, for us. I, I was, and this is one of those spaces where definitely I think people tend to have much more of a, a personal story. And um, I had a feeling that your, your passion for the subject, I had a feeling that might be, I, I should have actually said, if you're comfortable to say, but <laughs> you obviously were because we already uh, covered that. So, um, and I mean, has, has anything like this helped anybody yet? Do you know, or is it still too early days to, 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 to have patients that, um, that Emblema has helped? Yes, I think uh, we uh, we launched a, a pilot uh, back in July with um, a cystic fibrosis patient community mm-hmm. called cysticfibrosis.com. And uh, the president, which is Mrs. Jean Barnett, which is a fantastic person, mm. really generous, so engaged and, and super knowledgeable, both, of course, in the disease and in blockchain. So that helped a lot. And... Uh, you know, it's the, the, these patients are, are really underserved. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we got this, uh, this uh, feeling where, you know, because it's rare diseases, only 29,000 patients in the U.S., you know, nobody's interested in them. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate, right? So, for example, you have a lot of uh, patient apps for diabetes. Why so? Because it's millions and tens of millions of patients. So it's a big market. 29,000, who's going to? Who's gonna Who's gonna develop and you know a patient app? Nobody, mm. right? And I think because we're decentralized and basically we're just gonna be an enabler, right, to make sure that these people get attention by selling their data, and also because they're gonna receive funds from pharma companies, you know, that's gonna buy the data, then they're gonna be able to fund a patient app. Mm. It's as simple as that. Mm. And, and it's uh, it's great to work with those people because these people are so courageous. I mean, they have to spend like four hours every day, you know, doing exercises to make sure they unclog their lungs. And then they're so engaged. Well, you know, we're going to clean up our data, put it into blockchain. What do, you, what do we need to do? We're ready to work. It's so encouraging to see. And mm. and our goal, you know, with Gene is very simple. Well, let's get those funds, you know, from the from the farm companies because it's valuable data. And the, the metrics of $10,000, I mean, definitely apply, you know, to these people. Um, and then we'll be able to fund a patient app. And, and one very simple functionality that these guys don't have is that you have to avoid putting two patients of cystic fibrosis in the same room mm. because they have the risk of cross-infecting each other. Oh, wow. And okay. Really life-threatening. So a very simple patient app yeah. with you know, location-based services, of course, with patient consent that uh, registers on the app saying that, look, you know, 30 feet away or 200 feet away, uh, you have a colleague which is also cystic fibrosis, just don't move closer to him. <laughs> and simple things like that, I think we can change and, and very meaningful things. Yeah. So that's, that's, that, that has a very, very strong purpose. Yeah. Um, and then the final question after that comment seems a bit, uh, a bit inane, but um, <laughs> it's something that certainly people I write for and who listen to, listen to the, my interviews are interested in. So we'll have to cover it, even though after that statement, it, it's a bit of a step down. Um, the the what, what's the the technology underneath Emblema? I can actually see you've got Hyperledger and Ethereum listed, which seems interesting. Um, how are you using both together? 
Yeah, the current version uh, we're running uh, in production is based on uh, Ethereum. So this is mm-hmm. a private Ethereum network, mm-hmm. which is fully permissioned. Uh, and, you know, we're storing uh, the identified medical records on this. And uh, we're looking at other technologies. So Hyperledger is, of course, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also one of the co-chairs of the healthcare world group at Hyperledger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, basically trying to build a community around this use case that we're, we're building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're also looking at other technologies like uh, EOS, you mm-hmm. know, which is promising in terms of throughput, in terms of flexibility, you know. Um, and uh, I think the idea is that uh, depending on the use case, you know, we're implementing, uh, we're going to choose one or other platforms. And the reality is that there's going to be several blockchain platforms in healthcare. You know, for genomics, we have other colleagues developing different things. At some point of time, you know, we'll have to start uh, putting some um, interoperations layers like uh, common token layer, common identity layer, common key management layers. Uh, so that's things we have in the roadmap down the road. Hmm. Okay. And that's usually my last question is what's, what's your roadmap for the next six months? But um, anything else there that you didn't mention that comes a bit after that that's on the roadmap? Um, no, I think, uh, I think we pretty much covered everything. I think yeah. the next six months we've got to continue to work with more patient associations and different diseases uh, work with pharmas, you know, make sure they have better reward evidence data, uh, advance our work, you know, uh, mm. to interface our system with the FDA to accelerate the evidence generation and, and sharing with the regulator. Uh, yeah, so I think we have our yeah. work uh, out for us. It's actually super, I mean, super interesting. And I think technologies like uh, HealthKit especially have, uh, have shown that um, there's a lot of um, – a lot of good use cases for tracking health information, but yeah, where that information ends up is, is the interesting aspect. And um, yeah, often a lot of people are asking for really good um, use cases of blockchain technology. And I, I think this is one of those where it actually is potentially very interesting. And if we can get, Actually, that's something you mentioned very, very early in the interview that we didn't quite come back to was the aspect of um, connected devices, the data that they generate as well. Um, even, a, even a basic phone these days can generate some basic health information and where it goes, nobody knows most of the time. <laughs> so, But the information is useful. So being able to do something more constructive with it on an individual basis is a really interesting use case actually. And that was me speaking with Robert Chu of Emblema. If you've enjoyed the show, then please go along to gregarismammal.com slash podcast to find previous shows and rate and comment wherever you have listened to this show. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if you have really loved the show, then you can find more at gregarismammal.com slash support where you can buy merchandise and make donations. I have been Christian Chiller on christianchiller.com or at Chidge on Twitter for personal messages. And until next time, thank you for listening.